Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Series that have been on since the turn of January. We had a prophetic word in January, sorry, in, in uh, our, our anniversary, and we just were experiencing growth. So I just felt lots of like one week prophetic messages, which is uh, usually harder for pastors to, to do. But uh, I really felt um, it, like about three weeks ago to start a series on the Exodus factor. Now, I always say this to people, and I say it to our congregation. We know the story, but we don't know the message. Say it with me. I know the story, but I don't know the message. In other words, what Enrique said uh, two weeks ago, this is going to be a review. I'm going to give you like a five-minute review for those who haven't been here. Then I'm going to go to the third phase. And if you're here, it's because God wants you to hear this message. I got so much download. Again, I've, uh, this is a popular message, but I don't want you to think that you know what I'm going to say just because you know the story, okay? Who would have ever thought that Red Sea is symbolic of decision-making? But the Lord gave me that revelation as the people of Israel came to the Red Sea, they had to make a decision. And so sometimes we have our own personal Red Sea moments, this is a little review, that we make emotional decisions. Sometimes catastrophic emotional decisions because we got offended, because we don't have money, because the pastors didn't say hello to us. Oh, watch this. This is good now. Because there's a really good opportunity. It got quiet up in here. Do you know that just because you have an open door does not mean it's always from God? The key factor to everything is, did the Lord say the voice of the Lord? When Peter walked out of the boat, he, you know, everybody says he walked with faith and kept his eyes on Jesus. But the key to everything was he asked the Lord, is this you? He, didn't, he could have said like, boys, I got this. Watch this. That's my opinion. Because sometimes people launch out or do something out of their zeal or their frustration. But that doesn't mean it's God. That's a whole other sermon. All right? But that's emotional decision making. Say emotional decision making. We all have Red Sea moments that are almost insurmountable, that Red Sea, right? And remember, we talked about two weeks ago, if you remember, let's see if you remember, that the Red Sea has three main voices. So if the Red Sea could talk, this is just a review before we go to the third phase, which you all know, but it's going to be powerful, and it's hitting me so hard. It's so, I have so much content that I'm going to have to break this third phase into two weeks, just this third phase. But that three voices. The first voice was the voice of intimidation and fear. When you and I come to a Red Sea moment in our lives, right, I'm talking about insurmountable. The enemy is coming behind you. You have choices to make, but that voice is the voice of, uh, of fear. And you know what that speaks? You know what that sounds like? I'll be really quick for review. You can't make this. It's fear and, and, and doubt. It's, you, you will not be able, intimidation, sorry. You're going to crumble under pressure. This is going to crush you. That's what it says. This situation that you're facing, watch this. This is the voice of the Red Sea. You'll never recover from this. And you're facing this Red Sea moment. It could be a relationship Red Sea. It could be a financial Red Sea. It could be a career Red Sea. And you're, making, you're about to make an emotional decision that if it's not the Lord, you'll end up regretting it. Right? And then the second voice this is all review, so you could take notes. Because I need to review because last week was Mother's Day. Um, the second voice was, it speaks to us to, of doubt. In other words, the second voice, aim in the Red Sea, is to get us to forget the promises of God that he once spoke to us in the past. 
Why? Because they started doubting. And what does that sound like? You'll never get free from this. In my case, you're never going to be healed. Watch this. This is the voice of doubt that speaks to us in our Red Sea moment. If God really loves you, why is he allowing you to go through this? That's that voice when you're in that Red Sea, and it's so easy to give in to that voice because the enemy is, is, is running behind you. And, and the voice of, of doubt says, why are you believing anymore? It's been three years. Nothing has happened. Watch this. You know what the third voice is? The third voice of the Red Sea? Come on, what was it? Come on, I'm going to test you. Oh, come on, man, that really makes me feel good. No one's talking. Man, you guys are great listeners. Everyone's like... The third voice, this is review, was the voice that says, go back to Egypt because it was better for you there. Remember the scripture? They're like, they haven't even gone, I mean, it, it wasn't even five months yet. They, they saw the frogs and the plagues and stuff, and then finally the Pharaoh lets them go. And just a couple days later, sounds like a lot of Christians to me, a couple days later after their breakthrough, we had it better in Egypt, why did you leave us there? That's the voice. When you get saved, are you ready for this great news? All hell's going to break loose on you. Pastor George, you're condemning me. No, I'm not. You, because you weren't a threat before. Now you are to the enemy. You weren't a threat to the enemy when you were in the world. But when you're saved, you're, you suddenly get snatched from darkness into light. And now you're no longer, listen, now you're a threat to him. So he convinced, now watch this. Isn't it true when you get saved, now everyone stops talking to you and your friends and all this stuff. And you get emotionally sick because, oh my God, they used to be, no, because they're worldly. And even though we love them, you had a lifestyle change. And so the voice of Egypt says, go back to the world. You didn't have no problems when you were in the world. But now when you're in the world, you have all this, uh, sorry, in the Lord, you have all this persecution. Of course, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Come on, that was just my intro, and I'm preaching good already, all right? So that's just this catching up. But we did make, before I transition, we did make very, very important revelation. Please hone in on me. We described two people that made life-changing decisions in their Red Sea moment that absolutely changed their lives, their family, and actually a whole race of people. We talked about Esther. This is real quick because i got to get to, my, to the, the, this third phase. Esther made a decision whether to obey protocol and stay silent, knowing that there was a wicked plot to destroy her people, or break protocol and go to the king, and maybe perhaps the king would say, I'm, I'm okay with you, and save it. That decision saved her entire race of people in Persia. And they were living in Persia. Now watch this. And we, we just, watch this. What did we say two weeks ago? The harlot Rahab. One decision changed her entire life. She went from generational curses to generational blessings. In one decision. She was in Jericho. She was doing her business. She was a harlot. She did not have any association with the Israelites. The Israelite spies came and they were surrounded. And she had a choice. Either have an emotional decision and say, guys, they're right here. And there's enough evidence to say that there was enough offers that would have destroyed them. Listen, she hid the spies. Watch this. Those of you who weren't here, she hid the spies, as you know, not knowing them. Guys, do you understand? We read the story, but you guys don't put yourself in it. So imagine you're watching TV, right? And you see a whole bunch of, like, people that you think are terrorists. They're about to invade the U.S. And then those two terrorists come to you knocking at your house, like, let me in. You're not going to be like, oh, sure, come come in, come in. You're going to be like, 
guys, they're here. She chose when they came to her house to hide the spies, and she says, the fear of you is all over. We know that you're going to take over. Just give me mercy in my house. When you guys take over, give me mercy. Well, you know the story. They invaded Jericho. God, God plundered everything. They kept the red scarlet there. That's a whole other message, right? They saw the red scarlet hanging down. And because of that one Red Sea decision moment, she gave birth to Boaz. Great-great-grandmother of King David and now mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. One decision, one decision changed her whole life. Come on, somebody. Be careful with the decisions you're about to make. That leads me to the third phase. Now, if you've been a Christian for maybe two years, you already know this. This is a buzzword in a lot of circles. But I want you to hone in on me today because I'm getting so much fresh revelation on this. Please listen to me, okay? The third phase after this Red Sea is what? Where did they go after the Red Sea? You can talk back to me. The wilderness. The third phase to exit out of bondage is we must go through a wilderness and wilderness phase. Now, the first scripture I want to give you. Now, again, you know the message. Sorry, you know the story. You don't know the message, okay? Everyone says, I'm going through a wilderness. But what really is the wilderness? What really is the wilderness? I'm going to break it down for you today, and I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. Is that okay? So the first scripture that I want to give you, it doesn't even seem like a wilderness scripture, but I want you to see this because it's really powerful. And I want to say a disclaimer because some people say, you were talking right to me. I, I prepared this message two weeks ago and I had to refine it, right, you, you know, this whole week. So I'm not talking to anybody in specific. If the shoe fits, that means you're in the right place. Watch this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 in the American Standard Version. Okay. Watch this now. Oh, I'm going to run around this little pulpit here. Now, we've read this before. Let's break this down together. Let's, gonna have, let's, let's just be a, a family where we read the scriptures together this morning. I'm going to give you a lot of content, all right? Do you guys love the word? I know you do. Look at this. For everything, there is a season. Everybody say season. Say for everything. Notice it didn't say for some things or for the majority of things. It says, for everything, there's a season, watch this, and a time for every purpose under heaven. I'm going to say that again. And a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, we all know this story. There's a season for everything. Everybody say, there's a season for everything. Now, watch this. When it says, this is a little new, new revelation even for me. When it says there's a time for every purpose, I looked that word up. It doesn't only mean. A appointed time. It means that. But it doesn't only mean an appointed time. It means also a length of time or a window of time. Listen to this. For everything there's a season and a window of time, a length of time for every purpose. Every purpose has a length of time. Under heaven. What does this mean? What does this mean? In regards to the wilderness, we can never shorten the God-given wilderness that God wants us to go through. But we could definitely lengthen it if we don't behave properly. For everything, there is a season and a purpose, a set length time for that purpose. 
for that purpose that God wants to do in you. Right? So it doesn't only mean that we, that, that, that is just a, an appointed time. What it means for the wilderness for me and you is that it is not just something that we can shorten because God wants us to go through certain lengths of periods of time to establish a purpose. They said, if you read the Bible and even some uh, uh, historical documentation, the goal of God to take the people into the, the wilderness was one year. Theologians and historians say, and, and this is a gray area, that if they had a compass, if the children of Israel would have had a compass to get to the promised land, would have took around 11 days. Now, some of you have read other documentaries that say maybe, but it doesn't vary much. About 11 days to get from the place that they were at, the desert place, so that the purpose was so that they could instill, God could instill some things. But they ended up 40 years in the wilderness. They lengthened the wilderness way past the original plan that God wanted to be. Why? Because they did not know the season that they were in. Watch this. Watch this. I want you to see the first point. Are you ready for this? Look at the first point. If we don't understand any season, everybody say any season, we are in, we will, beha- we will have the tendency to behave incorrectly. Therefore, we won't get the desired results from God from that season. Boy, this is good stuff. I'm giving you some filet mignon right here. Look at this again. If we don't understand any season, the reason why I say any season, because you could be in a very good season and don't understand the reason that you're in that season because you're reaping some of the hard stuff that you did. And we have a tendency to just sit back and relax. We got the good season now. We stop praying. We stop seeking the word because the money's coming in. We got the promotion that you've been praying for for five years. But if you don't understand that season too, you will behave incorrectly. And you get prideful because of your success. Come on, say amen. You could start off good but not end off good, right? So watch this. To Bible characters, the wilderness was actual deserts. To Bible characters. I'm going to explain that in a second. I have a lot of content for you. For Bible characters, it was actually deserts, physical deserts that they were shaped in. Their characters were shaped in, and they're in wildernesses, right? And in and, and, and several hard situations. To us, it's a little bit different. Our wilderness experiences is not God sending you to the wilderness and uprooting you from your, your, your city and, and, and moving you to an actual desert. That's not our wilderness. Our wilderness is this. It's a season of our life where God seems, um, seems, that's the key, a million miles away and his promises he's made for us seems even further. But, everybody say but, to the believer, the wilderness is not a punishment stage, it's a preparation stage for many Many things that I'm going to share with you today. So I'm going to break this sermon down into two main parts. The other part you have to come next week because I got so so much content when I started studying. I'm like, there's no way I could give this to, to, to them all. Is number one, the purpose of the wilderness. Say the purpose of the wilderness. And then part two of this third phase is the result of the wilderness. So as I analyze a scripture, what I do just to give you a little uh, clue of how I, I, I create messages and it takes me about two and a half days, sometimes three, because I do it from scratch all the time. I gather information, the things I got, so I put them all like, you know, 
those preachers out there, you know what I'm talking about. You put them out, out there and it's your iPad, and then I have to put them all in order. Then I have to think about, read it over and over again, which is good for me, right? And as I looked at the wilderness, I, I looked at two main things, the purpose and the result. Today, I'm going to talk about the purpose of the wilderness. Next week, I'm going to tell you what the result of the wilderness will do in you. Amen? So I can't think of any other scripture, and I'm saying this with, 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 with passion and with humility, and, and trust me, it's going to be really good. Just trust me. I can't think of any other scripture than the scripture that I'm going to give, which most of you that have been around for a long time know where I'm probably going, right? I can't think of any scripture that has more clearly defined the purpose specifically for the wilderness, and we're going to read it together, and I want it to hit you hard in a good way. Can I hear it, man? Then Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, you could look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, all right? This is by far, there's a lot of scriptures on the wilderness, and I'm going to share some revelation to you. But by far, this is the clear scriptural word-for-word purpose for the wilderness. Say, there is a purpose for my wilderness. I know this is not a shouting message, but you will shout at the end because you will see that it's because God loves you intensely that he's leading you into the wilderness. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Here it goes. Let's read it together. You don't have to read it out loud. New King James, verse 2. This is the Lord speaking, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you. Everybody say led. All the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. Let's see if you get a clue what the purpose is when you read the next sentence. To humble you and to test you. God doesn't test people well. And to test you to know what was in your heart. Whether whether you would keep my commandments or not. Do you see this purpose? Do you see the foreshadow here? So he humbled you. He humbled you. He humbled you because you didn't want to humble yourself. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and feed you with manna, which you did not know nor your fathers know. Now, look at me for a second before I read the next thing. Does that sound like a, if you didn't know God, that almost sounds like that's not a picture of a loving God. Why would you read that scripture? He humbled, and he made you to hunger, and he made you, you know. Does that sound like a loving God to people that don't know God? Watch this. That, he did all that, that he might make you know. I love that because he already knows everything. (laughs) That he may make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. What do you think purpose number one is for the wilderness? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but I'll give it to you. The number one purpose, I'm going to have three main purposes today. Purpose number one. The wilderness is a place where God shapes humility in you. The wilderness is where the characteristic of humility is shaped in you and I. When I see someone that's very humble, I don't see that that as someone inheriting humility. Unfortunately for us, humility is not a trait that we naturally inherit. It has to be formed. And sometimes it has to be formed through the fire. Because it's so important, humility is so important that, it, that, that I realized after studying this, I saw something new, guys, that I didn't see. Do you know that people in the Bible who had wilderness experiences and allowed humility to come through their life excelled in their leadership when they finally got into leadership position? 
If you don't have a wilderness experience before your leadership position, be very careful. You'll wind up hurting people in the process. Watch this. I studied wilderness for years, but I never saw what I'm about to tell you. King David had a wilderness for about 12 years in the backside of the desert. I mean, running away from Saul. And it was in those desert moments that God shaped humility and formed humility in David. So much so that Shimei, I was telling the story, of Shimei, I mean, King David, that's the equivalent of the, like the president of the United States. King David, with, his, with Joab and all this army, he finally, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, and this guy Shimei no, had no army. He's like, boo, boo, and all these horses, and all these people with swords, he's like, boo, you're a bad leader. I should have never voted for you. And Joab goes, do you want me to, and he was a gangster, you know, like, can I just chop his head off, dude? Come on, just give me the word. I'm ready. I got it. The king had all authority to do that. I believe, this is my, my belief, the King David before the wilderness would have said, chop his head off. He went through the wilderness. And he goes, leave him alone. Maybe God is trying to speak to me through him. That's humility. That's humility. Humility also is the ingredient that is required for you to know that you messed up and repent and be obedient to God. You know what I noticed? Saul didn't go through a wilderness. And his leadership was arrogant, prideful, and selfish. His leadership reign was all about him. And when he repented, I'm preaching good now, he didn't repent because he hurt the heart of God. He repented because he got caught and wanted to keep his leadership position and authority. He didn't want, he just, he said, make me look good in front of the people. To the prophet. He didn't care about hurting God's heart. Hey, look, I don't care about hurting you. Just let me keep. He never went through a wilderness. And when he repented, he repented because he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar and he wanted to keep his position. Sounds like a lot of church people in the body of Christ. We only repent because we don't want to be exposed from the team that we're on. But David, who did much worse than, than Saul, come on, in, in the natural, in the natural, killed Uriah, got him drunk, had sex with his wife. The prophet said, you're the man. And instead of saying, let me look good on these people, in front of the people, please let me, let me. You know what he said? He goes, God, I'm so, Psalm 51, that's where he got it from. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Humility, humility, humility. That's what I'm talking about. Humility. Against you have I sinned. Take not your Holy Spirit away from me. In other words, take away the kingdom. Take away the ministry. Just don't take away your spirit. I don't care about leadership position. Take that away. Just don't leave me. The reason I am the way that I am to some of you is because I care more about your soul than what you could give me. If you find that I have a conversation with you and I say, I don't think that you're ready for the stage yet. It's not because I don't, I don't trust you. It's because I think there's some things that still need to be formed in you. And I'm not the only voice that says that. Other voices will confirm that to you. But if, I, if, if we take you down from a position and you're, and you're going through some rebellion, it's not because we don't love you. It's because we love you. <laughs> Saul never went through a wilderness and, he, and his leadership abused people. David was a warrior. He went through the wilderness and he came out tender, 
and humble, but he wasn't a weak man. Because listen, humility, humility is formed in the desert. L- listen to this. He said, so he humbled you. Some of us, God has to humble us. And I look at you, some of you in the room, and I see great humility in you. is because you've gone through the fire. Rejoice. You know why humility is so important? Please zoom in on me. You don't have to literally, but zoom in on me. We have new cameras, so every time I say that, I'm like, I'm like. Two reasons why humility is important. Number one, my opinion by studying the Bible is one of the supreme attributes of Christ. One of, I'm talking about the supreme attributes of Christ. Do you realize in Philippians 2 that out of all the attributes that it could have described Jesus, it described his humility? Do you realize in Philippians 2 the reason why we, that, that we hear the statement, he has the name above every name, is because of his humility? Where is that? That's not in my notes, but Philippians 2 says, and he humbled himself, humble, humility, to the point of death. Come on, everybody say therefore. What does that mean? That means because of that humility of humbling himself to the point of death, the God gave him the name above every name that whoever, listen, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. How did that statement come? When he chose to humble himself. Now, I never saw this. The second reason why humility is important, remember the the first purpose of the wilderness is to form humility in you. Say that with me. Say the purpose. Of the, of the wilderness is to form humility in me. Now, I don't want to transgress in another area, but you have to, humility does not mean weakness and it doesn't mean lack of identity. You know what Moses said about himself? <laughs> he says, he wrote the book and he goes, and Moses was the most humble man on the earth. I mean, you either got to be really prideful and messed up and the Lord just allowed him to say that, or you really know who you are. And he said, look, I don't, I'm not, I'm just like, I'm writing this and I'm broken as I'm writing this. Moses was the most, he's talking about himself, humble man that lived on the earth. Could you imagine if I said that? I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, see that's, I knew him. I knew him all along. He's just an arrogant guy. Imagine if I said, George is the most humble man on the earth. You'd be like, yeah, right. I'll be like, yeah, right. You know, I don't even believe that myself. I'm like, you sure, Lord? Just write what I said. All right. Watch this. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Someone say yes. First reason, listen, is because it's a Christ-like attitude. Watch this. Now, I've never seen this before. The second reason humility is important, and I, ne- I, I never saw this. Please hone in on this. Not only does God dwell with the humble, he seeks to revive the spirit specifically of the humble. Did you know that? Did you know that the Bible says in Isaiah that he seeks to revive not, the, not just the hungry, not, not just the good church attendance person, not just the faithful, the, the contrite and humble he seeks to revive. Look at Isaiah. Look what Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah chapter, um, uh, in Isaiah 57. Are you getting something out of this? All right. Isaiah, watch this. Isaiah, and we're still being good, so let's eat from the word this morning, all right. Uh, Isaiah 57 verse 15. Watch this. For thus says the high and lofty one. I love this. God can say that, right? The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Listen to this, guys. Listen to this. I dwell in the high and holy places. Look at all the attributes that he could have said, I dwell with. He says, 
I dwell with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. But how is that formed? Are you going to hear this revelation? In the wilderness. Why does God send you in the wilderness? Because he wants to dwell with you. I dwell with those who are humble in spirit. You have a little bit of arrogance, you know, a little pride, a little, little hurt. I want to take you to the wilderness because I want to shape humility in you because I want to dwell with you. Now watch this. Look at, the next, look at the next sentence. Keep it up there. Keep it up there. Watch this. Keep, look at the next verse. Look at this, guys. I, revi- I seek to revive the spirit of the humble. Who's humble so that I can revive them? And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I have a news for you. You allow the Lord to position yourself to a place of personal revival when you humble yourself. Come on, I got about five amens. Uh, everyone should have been clapping. Right. Humility and meekness are like brothers and sisters. Meekness is control strength. Humility has that same attribute of, of meekness. It is the ability to stay quiet. Watch this. Control your strength. When everyone's talking about you, when the enemy is attacking you, you have the ability, the restraining power. To not say anything negative. Who do you think is more powerful? The one who pops off at everything or the one that chews? And it seems in the natural that they're real bad and big tough and whatever. Or the person that chooses to not say a word in the midst of injustice because they have the inner strength that at any moment they could pop off, but they don't. To me, that is strength. I love when Jesus was there and he's all bloodied and they're whipping him before, before I get to number two. And he's all bloody. And by this time, he's, he's all messed up. And, and Pilate's looking at him. He's like, aren't you going to say anything? Don't you know I have power to let you go? And he's like, you don't have any power unless my father has granted it to you. That, my friends, is power. But you don't get it with an arrogant, prideful uh, way. You get it with humility. And I want to say this. I feel this from the Lord. Humility has nothing to do with personality. A lot of people say, well, he's not humble because he's just very careful. I've seen some quiet people that are very, very, very prideful. And they hide behind their quietness. But the whole time they're being critical about everything. Don't think that just because you're quiet, you're humble. And don't think just because someone's loud that they're not. Come on, somebody. I've been through the fire. Some people say, I wish I had what Pastor George had. You could have it. I don't want this. I was telling, I was texting one of my, my spiritual daughters the other day. They were talking to me. How are you doing? I said, I'm doing good, you know, uh, with this affliction. And I said, one of the things that the Lord has used the wilderness of affliction to do in me is not only to create humility in me. But are you ready? This is free for you. This is powerful. Is to put things in the right order in my life where I no longer like the ministry like I used to like the ministry. I love the ministry based on my obedience to God, but I don't crave it anymore. Let me tell you something. To young preachers out there, young people that are out there that you're just itching to get up. Listen, I remember Jeremiah Johnson saying, like, the pulpit is like crack addiction, like crack cocaine. You can't wait to get behind. You can't wait to get used by God. But you, but you, you, but you surely don't want to go through the process to be used by God. 
Let me tell you, I'm not trying to boast in myself, but there's no way that I could sustain all that I've gone through, hold the congregation, if I did not endure the wilderness season. Because it's in the wilderness that he instills humility, and then he could trust you. Is it possible that God is leading you to the wilderness because he actually really loves you? Purpose number two. This is going to be a good one now. I want you to take notes on this one. The second purpose for the wilderness is to test us. First purpose is what? First purpose is what? Come on. To humble us. or Sorry, to teach us humility. To teach us humility. Teach, uh, listen, everybody say teach us humility. Before I, I expound on number two. Jesus, Son of God, learned obedience through the things he suffered. Learned. Wait, how can Jesus learn anything? He's Jesus. But he was fully God and fully man. So he had to learn obedience. That, that blows my theology. Jesus had to learn obedience? I thought, I thought he just automatically walked in obedience. He had to learn obedience. How? By saying, I will obey. No, through what you suffer. Ooh, boy, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Purpose number two. The wilderness is a place where God uses to spiritually test. Say, say test. The reason why most of us are not fond of tests like me. How many are in college or were in college or in school or currently in college or currently in school? Come on. <laughs> Hopefully everyone at one time was in school. So I, was, I was looking for everyone to raise their hand, but it's all right. The reason why we don't like tests when we were in college or high school is because of this. I, this is what my opinion. The reason why most of us don't like tests is because it takes long hours of preparation, long hours of study, and to some, it induces anxiety. Right? It in, watch, I'm going somewhere. It induces anxiety, induces this fear because you're about to take a test. Now, this is a revelation. that I've never said this before. Right? So... If you pass the test, hear me well, because I've, I've never said this before, but the Lord gave me this revelation. If you pass the test in high school, I'm talking about physical tests, a driver's license test, a pilot test. If you pass the test, it shows that you have put the right information in you for days and for hours. And you put the right, everybody say right information. Inside of you so that when it comes to test time, you executed properly. And you pass a test. But why did you pass a test? Watch this. I'm going somewhere. Because you put the right stuff in you. If you fail the test, now I understand there's not some good test takers, but hear me out for a second. If you fail the test, it shows that either you didn't spend enough time, didn't want to, or put the right information in. So when it came time to take the test, you failed. And the reason why we hate tests, because in the natural, when we fail a test, we either flunk the school, the class, or we have to take it all over again. So watch this. Are you ready for the, for the revelation? Here's a revelation. It's going to be on the screen. Te what do tests reveal then? Tests reveal what's really inside of you. If you claim to be an orange and you're squeezed and apple juice comes out... <laughs> What you said the whole time just got revealed. That you were putting apple stuff inside of you and tricking everybody that you were an orange. 
if you're a Christian, when you get squeezed, the fruits of the Spirit should start coming out. And I'm human. Not, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but I'm saying this. Tests reveal what you put inside of you. Spiritual tests. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Spiritual tests reveal if at one point in your life you spend hours in the Word so that when you took the test you could execute rightly. Or if you just said, I don't want anything of the word, I don't like the word right now, I'm in a season, I'm in a funk right now, I don't like that. So when the test comes, we don't have enough information inside of us to pass the test. Unless you're super, super gifted, in order to pass any test in school, you have to study. You have to put, watch this, something in you. I was not a good test taker when I was in school. I had to, t- I, I, I studied for five hours. I was like, oh, and I got like a C plus. And then there's other people that they're just really naturally gifted. They can read fast, and I'm a slow reader. And they open the, the book an hour before for the class, and they ace the test. But either way, they had to put something in you. Now, one of the main things God tests in the wilderness, because it's talking about tests, right? What do you think, according to what you read, what is the main thing that you think? You can talk back, back at me. The main thing that God tests in the wilderness. Our heart, our, our patience, true. All, the, all those are great answers. But I want us to read Deuteronomy again, 8, because it, it says it for us, right? Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 or 3, and, you, and if you guys put it up, that's fine. If not, I'll read it. You should remember the Lord your God. He led you this way to the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what's in your heart. Here's the key. I want you to underline this. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. The number one reason for the testing in the wilderness is to see if you're obedient when you don't feel anything. To see if you're obedient to God. Listen, when it seems like the favor of God has been sucked out of your life. When it seems like God is a million miles away. When you have absolutely no desire for the word of God. Can you still be obedient to Jesus and his word? And the, actually, the Bible actually says, it. he goes, I did this to test your heart but to see if you would be obedient to my commandments. The wilderness tests our obedience. If we fail, you know the Bible says, if we fail in the day of adversity, our strength is small. In the book of Proverbs. Come on, come on, say amen. It's, it's one thing to say deep spiritual things, but when the favor of God seems, seems like it's not there, can we still be obedient to God in the desert? Look at this next, look at this slide. Are you getting something? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you free today. Listen, the wilderness factor in our lives will test, if I say test, the depth of the professed relationship we have with the Lord. Let's say that again. The wilderness factor in our lives will test the depth of our professed relationship with the Lord. Man, have I been tested in the wilderness. And I realized, I realized, man, what I thought was strong in me wasn't strong. And, and I realized that the wilderness, here's the key. Why do we take tests in classroom? The wilderness is a test so that we can grow. <laughs> Maturity comes through the wilderness. Listen, say this after me. Say, the wilderness is the class. Say, the professor is Jesus. We're all in class. <laughs> and the professor is Jesus. And we can not shorten the wilderness, but we can lengthen it if we don't respond to the test. Come on, say amen. 
God wants us to get into this thing. Because when we go into the wilderness, he tests our heart, he tests our obedience, and this is the third one thing that he tests. There's many more things, but he tests our speech and confession and our complaining. I'll just let you read it, right? I'll let you read it. The wilderness is where God tests our speech, our confession of faith, and exposes our complaining and bad attitudes. So let's just, you know, just have a family talk here. How many of us, when we go through the wilderness and a long series of time in the wilderness, that complaining starts coming out? Do you know that I don't have time to share it with you, but I believe it's in Corinthians where God starts identifying, Paul starts identifying the, I think the five, ten reasons why the children of Israel, if you guys know the Bible, like there's like reasons that he gives in Corinthians. And watch this, he goes, number one, this is why they were in the wilderness for 40 years, sexual immorality. I mean, we were like, okay, those are big sins, right? Sexual immorality, idolatry. We're like, whoa, thank God, whoa, that's not me. I'm not bowing down to other, you know, statues. And there was fornication and all this stuff. And you know what, like, the fifth one was? And complaining. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if you look deeply into the word of God, the number one reason, one of the number one reasons why the length of the wilderness was extended to the Israelites was because of their murmuring and complaining. The murmuring and complaining basically says to God, I don't like how you're doing things in my life. I want to do things like I want to do in my life. And it's an assault to the lordship of Jesus. I want to say this to you. The wilderness will expose our bad attitude and complaining. Guys, watch this. Rejoice! <laughs> because if that's happening, then if we yield and surrender, he will deal with those things. But if we keep on complaining, we will keep having to retake the test. Some spiritual sons and spiritual daughters sometimes will visit me. PG, you come, you've gotten softer. I go, I ain't softer. I said, I'm just more humble right now. I've been humble in, 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 in many ways. And I, don't, I no longer desire the, 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 you know, like when someone invites me to minister, I'm like, all right, praise God. That's an event. I don't, I don't crave those things like I used to. God's putting things in the right order. Because many of us, when we start off ministry, ministry's right here. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to be, no, I want to shake the world. Okay, shake the world. But like, is, is it so high on your priority list that like every other thing is way distant and God had to just. I got invited, and this is for the glory of God, to, to, to pray uh, uh, in a national day of prayer uh, by Daniel Kalinda's ministry. He's like, hey, we want you to pray. Uh, we know that you're a man of prayer, so can you come and fill a slot? I'm like, sure. And I fill the slot, thousands of people watching. And you know what? The whole time I'm like, Lord, I don't even, I, I, you know, the, the, the old PG was <laughs> I honestly was like, this is unto you, Lord. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to love on people. But it took the wilderness to take stuff out of me that wasn't healthy for me. Someone say amen here. Come on, this is good stuff. Now watch this. I'm, this is the, the, the third purpose, and then we're going to pray. But I found something I've never, ever seen before. So buckle your seatbelt. Come on, buckle them, buckle them up, buckle them up. <laughs> the third purpose of the wilderness is the place of revelation and preparation. The third purpose. We're talking about the purpose here, okay? The first purpose is what? Come on, let's review. To form humility in you. 
Welcome the wilderness, people. Welcome it. Don't reject it. Be much harder for us. Be much harder for you. Number two, the purpose of the wilderness is what? To test us, to test our faith, to test our obedience. The third one is to reveal himself to us and to prepare us for our assignment. Watch this. Watch this. I'm going to give you biblical characters right now. And some of them back there, guys, I apologize, the media team. I was up to 2 in the morning last night, and God gave me these scriptures. So I'm just going to shoot off some scriptures. So I, I apologize in advance. Joanna's going. <laughs> Watch this. Are you ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share a couple of revelations that God showed me of biblical characters that he revealed himself to in the wilderness, specifically. The wilderness, are you ready for this? This is a quote, Twitter, Twitter quote. The wilderness is where God reveals himself to you like never before. That will absolutely mark your life forever. It's in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness. Most of the time it's not when you're just taking a shower. Those are, listen, those are encounters. I'm going to talk about that in a, in, in a minute here. But look at this. Moses was in the backside of the desert, listen, and he was tending uh, flock. He was tending cattle for his father-in-law. Watch this. And Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. I didn't give that to them. Exodus chapter 3. Are, are you ready for this? Exodus chapter 3 in the NLT. Put NLT up there if you can. Verse 1 through 3. Look at what it says. I didn't give this to them, so just kind of look at me. If you have your Bible, just flip there. All right? Are you there? Say amen. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Follow me. Follow me. Jethro, the priest of Midian. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 in NLT. Moses led the flock, ooh, that's a revelation there, far into the wilderness. Can I just stop here? He was a shepherd, and he's leading the flock into the wilderness. Come to the wilderness with me, RCC. You're my flock. Let's go to the wilderness together. He's like, I'm going to leave this church. He led the flock, the shepherd, into the wilderness and came to Sinai. Now, now where did... Now, now, where was he? In the what? No, no, in the, in the what? So we see Sinai. We always see Sinai as a mountain, right? But where was Sinai located? In the wilderness. Watch this. He led the flock into the wilderness. Let's say wilderness. He came to Sinai, to the mountain of God. Are you ready? Ready? There. Everybody say there. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed with flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this burning bush uh, burning up? I must go see it. Where did God reveal himself to Moses? In the wilderness. You should be shouting. God. How about Joseph? God revealed to, uh, himself in a in a metaphorical uh, 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 wilderness to Joseph while he was in prison. Now watch this. And God revealed to jo himself to Joseph that he had ability to have dream interpretation while he was in prison. Mo Joseph did not know that he had the ability to interpret dreams until he was in a dungeon. 
He did not know while he was in a dungeon spending time with God. He's in his desert. He's in his wilderness. He's been abandoned. And in that, his gifts are being sharpened. And when someone had a dream, instinctively he said, I know how to interpret that. Where was this at? In the prison. David was in the wilderness running away from Saul. Running away from Saul for years when it's historically written that God revealed himself to David in the wilderness. And that's where he said, I am my, your refuge. I am a rock. I am your fortress. He was running away and God revealed, I'm fortress in the wilderness. Glory to God. Now, now John the Baptist, you don't even have to go further. Like He was in the physical wilderness. Watch this though. Watch this. Everyone knows about John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. So I'm going to shout, right? Before the, before the word of the Lord came through John the Baptist, the word of the Lord had to come to John the Baptist. But where did the word of the Lord come? Oh, come on, come on. Look at this scripture. I'm like, wait a minute. I forgot about this scripture. Luke chapter 3. It's not, I didn't give it to them. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 in the New King James. Everybody turn there. Luke chapter 3, glory to God, verse 2 through 3. Are you ready? Are you ready? While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, look at this, the word of God came to John of Zechariah in the wilderness. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, sorry, to John the Baptist in the wilderness. You know why? He's a revelation. You know why he could preach strong in the wilderness? Because the word came strong in the wilderness. The scriptures will be revealed to you in a greater way if you allow it to in the wilderness. The word of the Lord came to John the Baptist. What does that mean? In my mind, God started giving deep revelation. Because if you read the next verses, it says, and then he went out into all the regions of Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance. Where did he get that from? In the wilderness, spending time with God, getting these things out. God says, okay, I'm about to prepare you. The word of the Lord is going to come to you in the wilderness. If you allow it, the word of the Lord will be so. Why? Because when he shapes humility in you, you will run to the word instead of run away from the word. Before the word of God came through John, it had to come to John. Glory to God. Watch this. How about John, the beloved, the apostle? His, his wilderness, his isolation place was in the island of Patmos. And in that place, God gave him the book of Revelation. When he had nobody to talk to, nobody to fellowship with, nobody to eat, nobody, nobody to talk to and have communion with, God says, it's just me and you for a season, and I'm going to give you this book that's going to be written in my holy scriptures about what's to come and the revelation of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. And many don't know this, but Paul the apostle went to the wilderness of Arabia. Somebody, go, somebody don't know, but right after his conversion... Some theologians and historians say that he, he went about three years to this wilderness desert in Arabia. Right after his conversion where many people say that that's where God revealed the revelation of grace to Paul. It got quiet up in this Baptist church here. I want the, I want the worship team to come up. Are you getting something? I want you to read, I want you to quote this. It's a place of preparation. I want you to quote this because I'm going to say something real deep right now. Don't leave. Put this, put this up. I want you to quote this together. The wilderness will prepare me 
on how to come into sustained maturity and not just settle for temporary encounters. Glory to God. Everyone, come on, RCC, let's say this together. Ready? The wilderness will prepare me on how to come into sustained maturity and not just settle for temporary encounters. Look at me. The church is encounter junkies. We are encounter junkies. We go from conference to conference, from event to event, just to get blasted by the Holy Spirit. And we, have, we need to get there just to get healed. We need to get there just to get blasted by the Lord. And we need that conference just to refuel us. And we go from conference to conference, from event to event, and we are encounter junkies. But God is more interested in transformation than in manifestation. That's it. That's it. God is more interested in shaping your character than revealing his power to you. God is more interested in transforming you than manifesting all his stuff to you. We don't want to be encounter junkies. We want to be able to have, watch this, sustained maturity. Not maturity that lasts for six months. Not maturity that lasts for a year. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about maturity so that God could trust us with great responsibility. Listen to me. Maturity does not mean extravagant praise. Maturity does not mean outward expression of extravagance. I, when I was a youth pastor and I was young and I, and I didn't know what I was doing a lot of times, by the grace of God, God grew our ministry. And I would always look at the, pe- that, the person that was jumping up and down and fighting like, I'm like, I want that one on my team. But I was just looking for, I, I just looked for, out, for outside fire, but I never allowed the process for them to get into the wilderness to be matured. And many of those people, they lasted for six months, then they quit. And some of them opened doors privately for sin, and a portion of the youth group got swept into that thing. Why? Because if God short cuts the wilderness for us, please listen to me, church. Without us doing it on purpose, you and I will end up hurting people. I was talking to one of my spiritual sons, Chris. And I'm not going to mention, obviously, the name. But we were talking about how ministers nowadays shortcut their restoration process after they have fallen. And because they're the boss of their organization, they don't take heed to counsel to get healed, and there was a minister several years ago that fell into drug addiction and sexual immorality, and his board told him, his board told him, you need to step down so that you could be healed. Not because we're punishing you, because you need, you're going to hurt more people if you don't do this. He fired his board, and he went back into the pulpit without allowing the wilderness to take effect in him, and he died of a drug overdose. Some of you know this this pastor, and I'm not going to say it because of honor. But don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me that it's just affecting you only. You will hurt other people. You know how many people this, this tragedy hurt because he was unwilling to listen to counsel? Yeah, I've seen other pastor leaders, friends, that if I would mention their names, you know who they are. But I'm, I'm close to them. I'm close to a lot of pastors. I've been graced to know a lot of well-known pastors. There's other pastors I've seen that they have fallen. And they have gone through years of restoration. And they're weeping and they're crying. And they're saying, God, I don't care about the ministry. I want my marriage back. 
I just want you to remember those days when I didn't have the ministry. And I didn't care about the ministry. It was just me and you walking and talking and fellowshipping. I want that again. And we beget so we beget so ministry hungry that it's out of order. And I've seen pastors, friends of mine, that after I still I still remember this like yesterday. After two years of restoration, I saw this picture of this pastor, well-known pastor, humble, humble. He's weeping, he's crying, and, and there's there's fathers of the faith that you would all recognize laying hands on him, and he's in a chair. He posted this picture about five years ago. And he's crying in the pictures, a still shot. And he's going like this. And it says, finally, after two years, the Lord has done a deep work in me. And he, of course, he had repented. And I did not want to, to, to go back, but the Lord is calling me back into the ministry. My marriage is restored. And I'm healed. And it became a message for him. Because leaders, let me tell you this. If all we are, people, is encounter junkies and not seek transformation, we will eventually hate, and I say that rightly, hate the ministry. I got to that point. I got to that point where, like, I don't want, I don't want to be here. I've had that several times in my life. I was just talking to Anthony uh, one of our, our spiritual sons that he helps us every now and then. He doesn't go to our church, and he's a drummer. And I said, Anthony, do you remember that day in 2012 where, where at 6 o'clock I had you preach and the service was at 7? He's like, yeah. That was, I said, that was the, the, the ending of my, the grace had lifted for youth ministry. And I was in the parking lot. I never forget. I was, at, I was at OHA. And I was in the parking lot. Youth service started at 7. I'm there at 6. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Have you ever felt that way? What am I doing here? And I'm the pastor. And I kind of went, I remember texting Anthony, you're preaching today. <laughs> but at 6 o'clock, PG, you're preaching, be ready in season and out of season. Fine. Yeah. I left. Didn't tell him why. And I was watching the whole thing like this. 50 people in the, you know. God had, God had allowed that to happen to strip things out of me. Because ministry was my idol. I didn't say it then, but it was. Not for a long period of time, but for a certain amount of time, it crept up on me because we grew so fast, right? If you don't have anchors in you of humility, success will come and you'll destroy it. That's why I believe God. I told you I'm not that smart. That's why God trusts us with all this because it's his. I don't, I mean, I've had pastors tell me, how'd you do it? I go, I don't know what I did. You, and they're literally, they're like, you, you seem like you have good church planting skills. Can I, can I meet with you? I'm like, you go through the wilderness, then he could trust you. Then he knows that your heart's the right place. He could give you stuff like this, and you're like, this is all for the glory of God. It don't matter one bit to me. Don't matter one bit. Now watch this. This is the good stuff. Everybody say, I'm going to end with good stuff. The wilderness prepares us how to fight spiritual warfare. I said the wilderness teaches the church how to stop being wimpy and start fighting in spiritual warfare.
It teaches us how to fight in the spirit realm instead of giving in to everything that the devil is putting in our life. You say, how do you get that? I'm glad you asked. In Luke chapter 4, put it up there. The Bible says the Holy Spirit led. Come on, everybody say led. Jesus into the wilderness. And I say, read this a million times, but the Lord says, hone in on these words. To be tempted of the devil. And I always said, well, there's, you know, there's more and more. Yes, there's more, but that's the result of it. The purpose of the 40, listen to this. Now when the, no, 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 go go back, Luke, no, no, no. Luke chapter 4, don't do that one. That's next week. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Watch this, the first one. It said, he led the Spirit, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Put that up there. To tempt, be tempted of the devil. That's in, that's in, sorry, that's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Everybody say, to be tempted of the devil. Say, to be tempted of the devil. Now, here's where I'm going to close. Sometimes, in order for the teacher to teach us something, if you're in boxing or you're in wrestling or you're in some sort of contact sport, they train you, right? But eventually, you got to get into the ring. And eventually you got a box. The teacher trains you, but he ain't going to be with you. Okay, ready? Mike Tyson ain't going to be with you when you start fighting. He trains you. Then he goes, now it's time. He gets out of the ring. You get in the ring. And now you're taught how to be strong and fight. Now watch this. This blew my mind. God, on purpose, I found this out just the other day. I was reading Judges and I stumbled across this. God, sometimes to teach us how to fight, he will not Watch this. He wins all the battle for us, but he will not fight every single one because he's trying to teach us spiritual warfare. That there's power in your words. He is not going to conquer every enemy for you. You watch this. So that he can teach you how to fight. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't, you don't, no, watch this, watch this. Judges chapter 2, then we're going to close. Oh, my, 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 my. See, some street people, you know why you got, you know how to fight? Because you got beat up. You know why some of you know how to fight in the physical? Because you had to. You were in situations that if you didn't fight back, you would die. Come on. Mommy wasn't there. Daddy wasn't there. And now you know how to fight. You know how to fight. But some people, they've never gone through anything. And they, want to want, they don't ever want to go through anything. And if you never want to go through anything, you'll never learn how to fight in the spirit realm. He was led to the wilderness. Watch this. Watch this. To be tempted of the devil. What other purpose? To be tempted of the devil. What other purpose? To be tempted of the devil. Because he was going, listen, if he was going to be the son of God, he had to understand, even as Jesus, how to overcome temptation. Because when temptation comes our way, if we don't know how to fight, we'll give in to every temptation. Watch this. Look, this blew my mind. Are you ready to get blown away? Watch Judges. Judges chapter 2. Turn there. And this is the last scripture. Watch this. Judges chapter 2, we're going to go from 18 to 20, 22 to 23, and then 1 through 2. And you're going to be shocked. And then we're going to pray. Are you ready? Watch this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, watch me now, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies. Okay, so that's pretty. Okay, every time there's a judge, I do it all for you. I'm going I'm to kill all the enemies for you. Watch this. Through the judge's lifetime, for the Lord took pity on his people, keep following, who were burdened by oppression and suffering. 
But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Keep following with me. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because, are you ready for this? These people have violated my covenant, which I have made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands. Listen to this. I did this too. Come on, shout it with me. I did this too. Come on, if you're following, you can say that. Test. About say test. Should be up there on the screen. Verse 22 through 23. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways. You see the test in the wilderness. Watch this. That is why. Listen to this. Look at this last verse here. Before we listen. That is why. Everybody say that is why. The Lord left those nations in place, and he did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer it. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Why did God not wipe out all the enemies? Are you ready for this? Chapter 3, verse 1. I've never seen this in all my years. Sorry, chapter 3, chapter 3, next chapter, verse 1 through 2. Chapter 3, Judges, verse 1 through 2. I'm going to wait till something because this is powerful. This is important. I'm going to end with this. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. These are the nations. Everybody say this with me. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test these Israelites who had not experienced war of Canaan. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Let's all say it together. One, two, three. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. In other words, he purposely did not wipe out all of the enemies, but kept a couple of them there so that they could train the Israelites how to war, how to battle. If you look at the animal kingdom and when the lion is trying to teach, come on somebody, that cub how to war, it says, watch what I do. And it starts devouring the, per- the, the prey and catches it. And then the next time around, it looks for a smaller prey. Have you ever seen that? Look for a smaller prey and it kind of bites it just enough but keeps it alive so that the animal is still crawling and scratching. It goes, you guys do it. And those cubs don't know what they're doing. And they're kicking them around. What is the lion doing? He's saying, I ain't going to do it all for you. Because one time you're going to grow up and you're going to need to learn how to fight to survive. Because if you don't learn how to fight and hunt and kill, I'm going to be dead and gone by then and you're going to starve to death. The church has to rise up in spiritual warfare so that we can defeat the enemy of the Lord. So when your children have the spirit of rebellion in them, you can say, get out of them, loose them, and let them go. When they're set up in drugs, you say, not on my watch, devil. You will not take my children. When you're financially going through it, you'll say, no, I have been faithful. I will not allow it. Come on, church. Come on, lift up your hands to the Lord. This is all in the wilderness. This is all in the wilderness. This is all in the wilderness. If you're in the wilderness, it's because God is preparing you to fight. He's preparing you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He's allowing the wilderness, listen, to prepare you. Everybody say prepare. Come on, to build humility. Whatever those three purposes is, it may be all of them to you or maybe one. I want you to lift up your hands right now. Come on, lift up your hands and I want you to grab your prayer requests right now. 
Come on, I want you to grab your prayer requests. Some of these prayer requests are in the fire, are in the wilderness. Come on, come on, come on. I want you to lift up your hands. I thank God for the wilderness. I want you to say, Lord, what purpose do you want to teach me in the wilderness? Is it humility? Is it testing? Is it to prepare me for spiritual warfare? Come on, lift up your hands. Welcome. Welcome the wilderness. Lord, I say yes to the process. I say yes to the wilderness. I say yes to this process, God. to the wilderness surrender to his workings he's to teach us to battle he's teaching us to fight come on come on say it fill me up Jesus fill me up God fill me up God love of God come on lift up your hands come on Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.